This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I am your host, Miriam Marston, and once again, it is my privilege to be with you all each week as we continue to take a closer look at what God is doing in our world today. And trust me, He is most definitely at work. And my guest this week shares some of where he has witnessed God at work. Uh, Andrew Kassad serves as the coordinator of Children's Faith Formation at St. James Cathedral in Seattle, Washington. And during our conversation, I ask him what some of his suggestions are for for those who want to build up their evangelizing habits. And one recommendation he had was to, to really take this to prayer and to ponder the difference that it makes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because the more we ponder that, the more we can bring that out in our conversations with others, with, with thoughtfulness and creativity. But again, it starts with the difference that Jesus makes. Um, one of my favorite lines from Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical Deus Caritas Est is, Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. This line came to mind as I was watching the series The Chosen for the first time last summer, and in one of the episodes, the character of Mary Magdalene is trying to explain to Nicodemus um, why she is suddenly restored to, to good spiritual health, and she sums it up like this, I was one way, and now I'm completely different, and the thing that happened in between was him. And of course, she's referring to this life-changing encounter she had with Jesus Christ when she thought there was no hope or, or no future. Now, in my work at the parish, when I've asked adults preparing for the sacraments um, how life uh, looks different when they know that Jesus is a part of it, I've received a number of hesitant replies as, as though they hadn't really been introduced to, to the possibility that Jesus' presence in our life could be so impactful. And I see this as kind of a wake-up call for those working for the church, that we have to keep drawing attention to the fact that Jesus truly does make an enormous difference in every area of our life. Now, there are a few words that you'll hear come up in our interview, uh, which intersect in an important way. Uh, Andrew talks about how he fell in love with catechesis and also how he went through an apologetics phase. And of course, the terms evangelization and charisma are used a lot on this show. But how are these terms connected? Now, again, as a refresher, the charisma is the initial proclamation of the gospel. That is the astounding story of how God created us out of love and for love. But then sin entered the world and left us with a wound that needed a divine physician. 
And the remedy comes in the form of the incarnation, God who takes on human flesh and dwells among us. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we are freed from the chains of sin and death. And all of this brings us to a decision point in our own lives. And I rely here on Father John Ricardo's summary of created, captured, rescued response. It's an easy way to remember this initial proclamation, again, what we call the kerygma. And catechesis is that ongoing formation in the faith, which any disciple of Christ requires so that he or she might flourish in a life of prayer and virtue. And along the way, we know we're going to be asked questions, and the area of apologetics helps us to give a a strong defense of the wisdom and the teaching of the church. But something Pope Francis has made really clear is that all of our other catechetical and apologetic work must flow from this wellspring we call the kerygma. As the Pope explains it, We must not think that in catechesis the kerygma gives way to a supposedly more solid formation. Nothing is more solid, profound, secure, meaningful, and wisdom-filled than that initial proclamation. All Christian formation consists of entering more deeply into the kerygma. So please enjoy my conversation with Andrew as he describes how he discovered and explored and has shared this initial proclamation, this beauty and the truth of the gospel in his own life. I'm delighted to be joined today by Andrew Kassad, who serves as the Director of Children's Faith Formation at St. James Cathedral in Seattle. Andrew, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm well, Miriam. Thanks for the invitation to join in this conversation. Well, Andrew, I mentioned your role at the cathedral. What what exactly are just some of your responsibilities these days with children's faith formation? Yeah, a lot of uh, listeners know that uh, you know children's faith formation or uh, catechism or Sunday school, as we know it by lots of different names, is that means by which kids are formed in uh, the faith that they have been baptized into. So I get to oversee our catechetical formation uh, for our preschool through sixth grade uh, children. And in addition, uh, get to work with and oversee uh, the formation for the sacrament of confirmation for our middle school and high school students uh, here in the Archdiocese of Seattle We've relatively recently moved to confirmation preparation in middle school, um, and so that's in place. But of course, there's still folks that are in high school that desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the conferral of the sacrament of confirmation. Yeah. And then a little bit of uh, connection with our RCIA process uh, for folks who are younger. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so kind of high school or younger children um, who maybe haven't been any initiation sacraments, um, working with them and with their parents. Beautiful. I'm sure that's plenty to keep you busy these days, Andrew, for sure. Uh, So I want to chat a bit about the road that led you to where you are today, because as you're, you're talking about sharing the faith with others, that means at some point the faith would have been shared with you. So what what did that look like in your case? Um, Was it something you grew up with or yeah, talk to us a bit about that. 
Yeah, I grew up um, as a you know cradle, or as I sometimes like to say, native Catholic. Um, my mom was also a cradle Catholic. My dad became Catholic through the RCIA uh, when I was about three or four years old. Um, so I don't have any like living memory of that. But the experience that he, as an adult, having sought baptism and full initiation um, in the parish, uh, his having sought that path, um, coupled together with my mom's, um, you know, experience of kind of deep grounding in kind of Catholic uh, cultural traditions, uh, was a really beautiful experience uh, growing up. Um, so grew up in the church, um, served in my home parish in lots of different capacities. In a particular way, um, I fell in love with catechesis, um, both receiving and sharing uh, catechesis. Um, in high school, I was, you know, a, a bit of a, uh, uh, a maybe a little challenging of a apologist, in, uh, a little defensive of, of my faith and trying to convince others that uh, if they didn't have the same faith, that they were um, lacking something. Uh, so. Yeah. so a, a less than delicate approach sometimes to um, sharing about the faith. Uh, and then was blessed to go on to be part of a really fantastic Newman Center um, at UC San Diego and together with uh, Paulists and Dominicans uh, there at campus ministry, got invited in to serve in the RCIA. Um, and I would say that that is probably the you know key turning point for me of um yeah. yeah where a lot of the rest of the path went was that invitation to serve in the RCIA got it and you were asked to serve as a teacher as a as a catechist andrew in the RCIA process for others yeah first as a catechist um but what i found with that was is that you know um catechesis is good and essential um but that art of accompaniment really came when i uh, served as sponsor uh, for, for a young woman who was uh, entering the church, um, the RCA director said, "You know, Andrew, this this young woman's asking lots of questions, kind of like you know, you're you're you know up here in these intellectual weird questions. But why don't you guys go have coffee and you know ch chat about some of these questions?" Um, yeah. And it shifted and made real for me hmm. the experience of walking with a particular person rather than. Um, shall we say, like objective in the sense of stands outside of a particular person, yeah. catechetical concepts. Yeah. Well, and I also think of, you know, you, you said that when you were younger, you had maybe a more of a defensive posture uh, to the faith. And did that kind of help smooth out some of the edges of oh, absolutely. that defensiveness? Yeah. 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 Uh, for those who might not be very familiar with what it takes to be a sponsor in that case, Andrew, briefly, what, what would a sponsor ideally do to help accompany someone towards the sacraments of initiation? Yeah, you know, a, a method or almost like a tagline that I have come to use in Christian initiation ministry when I invite anyone to serve as a sponsor is to say, we're not asking you to, you know, be expert in a particular topic. We're not asking you to sign up for an additional class. Really, what we're asking you to do is continue living your faith in the great witness that you are and invite someone to come along with you in doing that. Um, so invite them to come along with you to Mass. Invite them to come along with you as you serve in the food pantry. 
Invite them to come along when you go to your, you know, kids play at their school um, so that they can see how that is all part of the kind of normal, uh, very incarnate reality of living Catholic. Mm, love that. So again, they don't have to be a scholar or an expert. It's just uh, being a faithful follower of Christ and inviting someone else along with them into that journey. Love it. Andrew, could you fill us in? What what sort of areas have you worked in, in terms of ministry? I know you worked uh, as well um, in a diocesan office, but what's your background in terms of, uh, yeah, ministry experience? Yeah, well, Again, I kind of became captivated with um, Christian initiation. And uh, as I was diving into Christian initiation as a volunteer catechist and as a volunteer sponsor, it really sort of struck me that what the church was unfolding in the rite of Christian initiation for adults was a rite, was a liturgical ritual process. Um, And so I decided to go and study liturgy uh, professionally Mm -hmm. so that I could have a better understanding of this method that is the church's own method, the liturgy, uh, and be able to convey that and share that with others. Um, as many of your listeners know, there's you know there's lots of different configurations of how we get to do our work in yeah. um, parish or ecclesial ministry, and so uh, I found myself for a number of years uh, serving in liturgy and Christian initiation ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, first at a large parish in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, oh, wow. uh, and then um, about um, seven or eight years ago, I moved here to the Archdiocese of Seattle and uh, began ministry in the Office for Liturgy for the Archdiocese. Mm -hmm. And the particular configuration that we have here uh, in the Archdiocese of Seattle is that oversight of, or really kind of support is probably a better language, support Mm -hmm. for ministers of Christian initiation is through the liturgy office, um, not necessarily through the catechetical office. And so that was something that I got to um, support folks in parishes for a number of years of encouraging the same kind of awareness of the method of signs, as we call it, you know, in another language, the method of signs as the means by which um, those who are new to the faith are brought into the practice of the faith. Um, And then after a few years, headed down to uh, St. Michael, which is a large parish in Olympia, the capital of Washington, and got to work there with, again, um, Christian initiation, and also the sacrament of matrimony. And for the last year or so, I've been up at St. James Cathedral and working again in children's ministry, including Christian initiation. Okay. I I hear the thread of Christian initiation (laughs) for sure. Uh, For those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Andrew Kassad, who serves as Director of Children's Faith Formation at St. James Cathedral in Seattle. Um, You talked about this method of signs. There was a something that drew you into the liturgical rite when it came to initiate Christian initiation. Andrew, are there parts of these rites that really stand out to you in particular that you said, oh, those might be my favorite signs or my favorite moments in the rite? What stands out for you? Oh, gosh. Uh, so many, right? Uh, I think that the church in her wisdom has received this beautiful gift from the Lord of being able to make concrete spiritual realities that we otherwise wouldn't see or name. Um, And so being able to um, 
accompany an individual as he or she makes a first step of commitment to faith in the rite of acceptance and the signing of their senses um, is profound and beautiful. Uh, every year I look forward to the celebration of the rite of election uh, when those who have journeyed quite some time in their catechumenal formation um, offer their names for enrollment, right? There's a, it's a very visceral thing of, um, I'm staking my name on Christ. I am to be known forever and eternally as one who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, it's a very visceral uh, moment that's there. Of course, the high point um, with the celebration of the sacraments of initiation itself uh, at the Easter Vigil is um, phenomenal. But there's also this kind of ongoing sign value of those who have been initiated returning and entering into the community as fully initiated new ones that bring a vitality and a new life uh, to, to any parish that they enter into. Um, so yeah, so those are some kind of uh, moments, I would say, of ritual life um, making tangible those, yeah. those spiritual realities. And I imagine, Andrew, that th- those uh, moments then become pathways of evangelization, even within the community. Have you experienced that where the, these wit- this witness to the community has uh, been really a means even to evangelize those who are in the pews? Absolutely. Um, you know, a couple of you know, interesting stories that are here. Almost mm-hmm. every year that I ministered at St. Michael and at St. Thomas More, both of which had uh, really excellent schools connected with mm-hmm. them, almost every year we would have a young person who had gone to the school uh, because their family wanted academic excellence or you know, for, for a variety of reasons, most of which didn't have to do with the intrinsic Catholic identity of the school. Mm-hmm. And through the experience of being loved and cared for in that community, um, you know, this child would say, I desire to be fully part of this community. Um, yeah. And invariably, the subsequent year, mom or dad would say, how do I do this? Like, is this for me? Am I too old for this? Or can I be part of this community too? Um, and so watching the, the power of their own children's journey and being surrounded by the prayer and sign of the community as it led them through that process of initiation. Um, yeah. Always led a parent to uh, say me too, please. I, I, I've caught the fire and I want to keep going with this as well. And then, uh, you know, there, there are many folks um, for whom we celebrate the right of reception into the full communion of the Catholic church. This would be, Christians uh, of different traditions who uh, make a profession of faith to become Roman Catholic. And we celebrated those on you know, Sundays throughout the year as folks mm-hmm. were ready for it. And almost every time afterwards, someone would come up to me and say, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. How do I get a robust prayer life? How do I make a step in that particular direction? Um, so that kind of awakening of faith through public celebration of those who take a step in faith um, is, as you said, a really powerful tool for evangelization. 
Oh, love it. Thank you for sharing those stories, Andrew. We've heard, I've heard kind of the patterns of the, the joys that you've experienced, but what have been some of the stumbling blocks you found, like things that need to be addressed in our culture and our society that have thrown up some roadblocks to, uh, to these joyful moments in our church? Um, because we have to acknowledge those so that way we know how to respond. Uh, what has been your experience of some of those? From within the church, I think we often have a, um, an approach to sacraments where individuals need to earn a right to participate in those sacraments. And so overcoming that kind of culture of um, have they attended enough classes? Have they fulfilled all the obligations to get their marriage brought into the church? Um, kind of just overcoming that um, almost Pelagian approach to sacramental life uh, is, a, is an internal challenge for us within the church. Um, I think the biggest challenge for, for, for going out is there's a great fear that will offend people if we talk about our faith. Um, and I certainly had that experience when I was you know, younger, like, you know, almost reveling in like annoying people by, you know, putting it in their face, or putting it in their face. Um, but I find that our, um, our neophytes uh, and those who are exploring the faith are often really good at evangelizing without being told, go and evangelize. Um, they simply have discovered a new way of being for themselves and they're excited about it and they want to share that with other people or their friends see and notice a difference of like, Hey, how come you don't, you know, hang out at the pub with us on Thursday nights anymore? Oh, I'm doing this thing at church, church. What are you doing that for? <laughs> well, I found community there. I found Jesus there. Um, and they're kind of unaf unafraid or kind of unashamed to, um, yeah. to, to share that. And so it's a, um, yeah, I think with, you know, for, for those of us who are part of the church, we often have this fear that we'll be perceived as imposing the faith or that we'll mm -hmm. risk friendships uh, if, we, um, if we go out. There are, I think, some wider cultural barriers uh, to folks being willing to look at the church and to even kind of yeah. give some consideration to the church. And um, some of those are generational. I find that uh, th those who are a little bit older than us tend to be a little bit um, more concerned about uh, bad things that the church has done or hasn't done. Mm -hmm. And those who are a bit younger than us tend to be really concerned about perceived uh conflict between reason and faith or between science and religion. Um, and so those are, I think, kind of two big cultural conversations that as ministers of the church, we have to be comfortable enough to enter into them to be able to evangelize. I loved how you brought up the neophytes. So those who have been recently baptized and they have just this intuition to want to sort of share their faith or doing something new. Like you said, they're finding a new way of being, a new way of living life. For those of us more removed from the baptismal font in our own experience, how might we cultivate that, that fire and that instinct to want to, uh, to share the faith? And, and in your own experience, are there certain prayers that help? Any um, practices, habits? What might you recommend to someone who has a willing heart 
but is a little bit stuck? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a, a practice that I have found to be helpful yeah. is to focus on what difference in my own life, mm-hmm. my relationship to Jesus Christ makes. Um, it's relatively easy, even though it's terrifying to go out and, you know, um, announce in a fairly objective way, this or that truth that the church yeah. holds and correctly conveys. Yeah. Um, and that is what I experience think most people experience as the kind of off-putting approach to going out. Um, But if I'm willing to share my story to say, you know, like St. Paul, this is what I was before. And then I had this, you know, transformative encounter with Christ. And this is who I am now, still very much, you know, a work in progress. Um, But my encounter with him has made a difference to me in my life. Um, those are compelling stories. And when people hear them, they can say, that's cool for you. That's fine. But they haven't been, um, you know, we're not, we're not seen as imposing anything. Right. Uh, and it creates that opportunity for someone to say, wow, like, yeah, she has a really beautiful family life, despite all the you know craziness going on. Yeah. I wonder what makes her tick. Oh, it's her faith. Huh. I wonder if I could share in that. Um, so those become these, um, these practices of sharing um, who I was, I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. Yeah. And it. so I think, you know, in my prayer, trying to continue to ponder, um, what difference does it make that I am a disciple of Jesus yeah. Uh, is, yeah, is an important, important prayer practice. Love it. You know, you said uh, having these conversations that just sort of happen maybe between friends or family members. And we have these moments to talk about it. I think Andrew, one of the challenges I've experienced is even having those spaces in which to have those conversations. And I know there's, there's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of distraction, a lot of noise. It's even hard. I think sometimes to carve out just those moments and those, those times where we can even have these conversations and you have to have trust as well in these relationships too, to be able to be open about those things. I don't know if that's uh, been the case in your experience too. Yeah. You know, and um, maybe part of it is, is that, you know, I, I'm not all that interested in, uh, you know, watching sports and, you know, following professional teams and so on and so forth. Some of the rest of my family is. And um, so, so when I'm, you know, standing at, the sidelines of my daughter's soccer game or standing at the sidelines of my, you know, son's basketball or scouting or whatnot. I I can't ask like, how about those Mariners? Cause I I really don't know. Um, But I can say like, Oh, like how's your week been? Or what are you passionate about? Um, You know, what, what do you think about what's going on in the world right now? Like, you know, just kind of um, skip some of the the, small talk. (laughs) Yeah. Skip the small talk and jump straight to like some of these questions that, yeah. Um, even though they can be a little challenging, yeah. I think we want to talk about, uh, and so really leaning into those spaces where we are with, um, bigger circles, right. And, and yeah. reaching out and saying, what do you think about what's going on in the world right now? Um, yeah. 
Yeah. It's a great challenge to leave our listeners with as well to kind of consider, okay, how can we skip the small talk this week and get to the big questions? Andrew, I'm really grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. And I just hope that God continues to bless you and your, your wonderful ministry and the good people of your parish. You too, Miriam. Thanks so much. Recently, I was speaking with those men and women in our parish who were recently baptized at the Easter Vigil, and one woman mentioned how one of her favorite parts of the vigil was how the congregation first gathered around the bonfire before heading into the church, and how the candles were lit one by one. And slowly but surely, the church was filled with this beautiful glow of candlelight, but it required each person turning towards another to spread the light. And my friends, one of the beautiful responsibilities and privileges in the Christian life is to be a good steward of the light of Christ, which has been given to us in baptism. And not just that, but to share that light with others and to help others keep that fire of faith burning strong. In fact, this moment in the Easter Vigil, as the candles are lit one by one, it's a marvelous analogy for evangelization. Are we turning to others around us and sharing the light of Jesus Christ? It's just something to think about, especially in this beautiful Easter season. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston. I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to blaze a trail of faith here in the Pacific Northwest. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.